Welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolzma. I'm so glad that you could join us for today's episode because we have yet another terrific author with us. You know that if it's happening in the world of Christian historical fiction, we're talking about it here. And today's author is, I guess you could say, trending in the world of Christian historical fiction. It's a real pleasure to welcome her here. Before we get to that interview, though, just remember the basics. If you aren't subscribed to Christian Historical Fiction Talk, make sure that you do subscribe so that you know when new episodes release. You get that little alert there on your phone. You don't want to miss out on a single one. We are in the process of getting the rest of the interviews and things scheduled for the rest of the year. And we have some great people coming up and some great ones that I'm contacting trying to get on here. So please keep in touch with us that way. Keep in touch with Christian Historical Fiction Talk on social media as well. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So connect with us there and interact with me on those platforms. Also, if you would like more information about today's guest and about her book and a handy link to find this book and all the books in this series that she's talking about, then head over to my website, which is liztolzma.com. That's all you need to know. Click on the podcast tab and you will find this interview right there along with all of the show notes that give you all that information. Okay. That does it for the preliminaries. We've gotten those out of the way. And now we can dive into our chat with our guest today. This author started writing novels in the third grade. I don't, we all seem to get our starts really, really early, like in elementary school. Thankfully for literature as we know it, she didn't actually sell her first Regency romance novel until she had learned a bit more about writing, such as vocabulary, sentence structure, and plot. After numerous short stories and articles in magazines and trade journals, she got serious about her novel writing. The Regency romance, The Unflappable Miss Fairchild, was her first novel to be published, which was March 1998, so she's been at this for a while. In 2011, she was delighted to move into Christian romance with the publication of The Irresistible Earl. Her novels have been translated into Dutch, German, Italian, and Portuguese, and a large number have been issued in hardcover, large print editions. She's won numerous awards. She and her husband are the parents of two sons, and they reside in the Puget Sound area of Washington State. So please help me to welcome to the show today, Regina Scott. Welcome to the show, Regina. We're so glad to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's a lot of fun to get to talk to you about your new book. But before we get into the details about A View Most Glorious, why don't you start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? I am the author of more than 50 works of warm, witty historical fiction. I'm a very hands-on researcher, so I've driven four in hand, and I've danced the cotillion, and I've done all kinds of things in order to further the details in my historical books, and I'm just delighted to be here. Well, we're so glad that you agreed to join us because 
As I was telling you, I got to read A View Most Glorious while I was sitting on a beach in Greece, literally with A View Most Glorious in (laughs) front of me. And you provided me with many wonderful hours of relaxation. It was a really good story and I truly enjoyed it. So I know our listeners will if they pick it up as well. So that leads us then into A View Most Glorious. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? Sure. It is the third book in my American Wonders collection, which are all set in the history of our national parks. This one is set on Mount Rainier and in Tacoma, which is one of the closest towns to Mount Rainier. It's set in 1893, and it features one of the first women to reach the summit. That was really fascinating to me that a woman would climb the summit of Mount Rainier way back in 1893, you know, all their skirts and everything like that and all the Victorian protocols about not showing your ankles or anything like that were all in play then. And so to do something like that must have been really out there and probably quite shocking, I would think. A bit. In history, the actual first woman to climb Mount Rainier was Faye Fuller, and she did so in 1890, so a few years before my heroine climbs. And in fact, she plays a cameo in the book, giving her some advice on how to get to the top. But she did it at that time. And there is a wonderful photograph of her after her climb that was in the newspapers. And if you look, it looks as if she's wearing skirts. She wasn't. She was wearing bloomers. And the photographer had to kind of camouflage that for their re- for his readers because that was such so scandalous that she would wear, you know, bloomers to climb. What was the inspiration for this book and for this whole series set in national parks? It started with the first book in the series, A Distance Too Grand. I didn't set out to write a series at that point. I I wanted to do something big and splashy. And I knew I wanted my heroine to be a photographer at a time when women were just sort of dipping their toes into that. And I thought, what's the biggest, what's the biggest thing she could possibly want to photograph? And I thought, oh, the Grand Canyon doesn't get any bigger than that. And when Ravel bought the book, my editor said, hey, would you be willing to make it a series and write two more set in the national parks? And I said, oh, oh, break my arm. Sure. <laughs> I would love to do that. So the series was really her idea. So I give her full credit for that. And then when I was really digging into the research for A Distance Too Grand, I ran across this tantalizing little comment about the cavalry riding to the rescue of Yellowstone. And I thought, oh, well, there's book number two. I got to figure that out. That just sounds too good. So the second book, Nothing Short of Wondrous, is set in Yellowstone. And the third one was a no-brainer for me. I live 45 minutes from the gates of Mount Rainier. And my father loved that mountain. I practically grew up on it because he had us up there every weekend, hiking and camping and So it had to be Mount Rainier, had to be number three. That makes a lot of sense then. So have you climbed Mount Rainier yourself? No, I did think strongly about it. And I have great, great respect for the people who do it. In Cora's day, people who were absolute amateurs just did it. 
you know, and so I can't feel quite that comfortable. <laughs> so I did look into the training that would be involved and the, the effort that it would take to do that. And I thought, oh my, with all the other responsibilities I have, I, I just don't think that's where I am in life right now, regrettably. That was always my father's goal was to reach the top. He never did either, but maybe someday we'll see. Yeah, that would have been really kind of cool. But I guess, yeah, I can see your point. And that would not be anything I would want to do. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Cora climbs Mount Rainier for a very specific purpose. What was the message that she was trying to send by climbing the mountain? She was trying to raise awareness for women's suffrage. (laughs) She, at the time, you know, I mean, Obviously, 1893, women's suffrage was still a thing all over the country, but it was a particularly difficult subject here in Washington state. Washington state women had had the vote twice and lost it on technicalities and court challenges. And they were very, very frustrated by this. And in fact, in 1893, some of the suffrage groups had actually disbanded. They'd given up. They just didn't know what else to do. So it seemed very logical for her suffrage group to say, all right, we want to do something splashy. We want to raise this awareness. We want to prove ourselves. So they asked Cora to climb the mountain because one, she doesn't have any climbing experience. And two, that she is active in society. So she's a known figure and her family are known figures. So the thought is if Cora can do it, any woman can do it. And if any woman can climb a mountain, why can't you give them the vote? Makes sense to me. Yes. So I liked that about her. She was really, for a society lady, quite spunky and really willing to put herself out there and do something shocking that, like you said, very splashy for sure. What message were you trying to send? Were you trying to send a message? I assume you were. But what was the message you were trying to send when you wrote the book? For me, it's about finding your place. That's a theme that seems to resonate in a lot of my books. Where are we uniquely crafted to make a difference? And I think Cora learns that. She's tried lots of things at this point in her life. You know, she's gone to college when a lot of women haven't. She's an accountant, one of the first in the city of Tacoma. She's tried to make her own way based on things she's seen in her past and how her family has been beholden to men. She wants to make herself beholden to no one. But where do you fit? Where does it, you know, she knows she doesn't fit in her, like in in the society world that she's been raised in. She's the anomaly. And so where, where do you fit? How do you make a difference with the unique capabilities that God has given you? Where are you supposed to make your difference? I love that. That's a great theme to have. And it does make you stop and think about where is it that I belong? Like you Mm -hmm. said, what unique abilities and characteristics has God given me so that I can make a difference in the place where I am? The title of the book, A View Most Glorious. Now, I'm assuming that the first thing that pops into my head with that is that you're talking about the view from the top of Mount Rainier. But is there another meeting, a different hidden meeting sort of behind of you, Most Glorious? I think it still fits with that theme of finding your place. That's where you really can see. That's where you see the future. That's where you see your path. And sometimes that means that's where you see the person who's meant to be walking beside you on that path. And that's 
Well, we won't give anything away about the book. (laughs) (laughs) You sort of alluded to this earlier on that women, and especially Cora, went and climbed Mount Rainier with no experience, very little training. She trains just for a short amount of time. And that did kind of catch me up a little bit when I was reading the book because I thought, how in the world could a woman like this, who wasn't even like somebody nowadays who might run every day or mm-hmm. do some kind of exercise or something like that. She was a society lady, so she went to tea. That's what she did during the day. Mm-hmm. Is it really possible to climb Mount Rainier with such little experience? They certainly did it. Faye Fuller had more than most women. She had done a lot of climbing in other places, you know, and walking and hiking. And that was her goal was to climb to the top. And she found a group of gentlemen that were willing to take her with and went up. But there were other young ladies who at one point when Faye summited, I believe a second time, There was a group of women at Paradise, one of the high spots there on the mountain. It's about 5,000 feet up, who had never done much mountaineering. And she's like, oh, take me with you. I'd like to go too. And she made it to the summit, you know. So there were women who had no training and just saw a group going up and were up there with family and said, hey, I think I'll go too. I'm assuming that nowadays they probably discourage that, don't they? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes, they encourage months of preparation and it's just wiser. There were, I don't believe there are any women who were ever killed trying to climb Mount Rainier, but there certainly were gentlemen who died in the attempt and it's not something you want to take lightly. It's a challenge to the heart. It's a challenge to the lungs. It can be very cold. There were several groups that thought they'd make a day trip of it up from paradise and got to the top and weather set in and they had to figure out a way with just, you know, no tents, no food, no anything. How do you survive this blowing gale and below freezing temperatures, you know, until the weather subsides enough to climb back down? You said you didn't ever climb Mount Rainier, but you mentioned that you're a hands-on researcher, that you have danced a cotillion and done some other things. What's the most adventuresome thing that you've ever attempted? Oh, my. I guess I'm not. Well, sailing on a tall ship. That was pretty fun. I did spend a day on the Lady Washington, our state's tall ship, as she was making a transit up the Columbia River. So that was a lot of fun to get to try some of those things, you know, pulling on the ropes and, you know, doing all those things. So that was a lot of fun. I learned to fence. So that was very interesting. I couldn't do some of the things then, but I did then I do now. I probably couldn't do it, but I did learn to fence in college. And at one point I fenced the silver medalist from Iran to a draw. So I thought I was all that. <laughs> Good for you. That is an accomplishment. <laughs> uh, like I, say, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it today. That's for sure. So yeah. And then for my 40th birthday, two very dear friends of mine hired a coach, a coach in four to drive me through a big park that we were living by at the time. 
And so he drove us down through, we all got in and he drove us down to the park and he got to the other end of the park and he looked at me and he said, would you like to drive back? I'm like, oh yes, wouldn't I? So he let me up on the box and I learned to drive four in hand. That was awesome. Like the best birthday present ever. (laughs) Oh yeah. I can imagine for a, a history buff and for a historical author, that had to be amazing. I'm quite jealous. I have to admit <laughs> that would be really cool. Were you nervous doing that? A little bit. He was right there. I knew that if I messed up somehow, you know, and there weren't too many people on the path we were going along and everything, I didn't feel like I was going to cause any major damage. So it was more excitement than anything. Very cool. Now, if I'm understanding it correctly, your bio correctly from your website, you started writing for the secular market. Is that correct? Yes. I did. There was always sort of a Christian worldview, but I had to be a little more careful about not including a Christian message at that point. My first publishers did not kind of frowned on that. (laughs) So why did you decide then to make the jump into the Christian market? Being a Christian is a really important part of who I am. And it was hard. I always felt like there was a part of me I couldn't put in my books. But a lot of praying at the time, it just felt like God was saying, I don't want you preaching to the choir. I want you out there, you know, in the wider world. But then at one point I had this opportunity and I prayed about it. I really felt like he was saying go. So I did. And it is wonderful. I really appreciate being able to write about that side of my characters and that journey, because to me, your faith journey is such an important part of how you grow and change. You know, in fact, you could even say there isn't growth and change without that faith journey, you know? Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed being able to include that in my books. Now, I understand that you have quite the costume collection. Would you (laughs) mind sharing a little bit about that? Oh, yes. I guess I never outgrew dressing up. (laughs) But and that's part of the research, too, to see how it feels, you know, how it feels to wear skirts, how it feels to wear a corset, just the differences. But I do I do have a, a passion for that. So I love getting if I could, I was somewhere and somebody was talking about, boy, it's a shame we can't wear long skirts. And I said, whoa, if I could, I would dress up in 19th century gear every day. And she said, what do you do for a living that you can't? And I said, I walk down the hall to my office. <laughs> I, why can't I wear that? You know, it's right. just, you know, if I wanted to, I could wear all my costumes. It just, I don't know why. It just seems a little off. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I won't speak for you, but I met a lot of fiction authors in my day, and sometimes my husband would definitely say to me that I was a little bit off. So, you know. <laughs> there you go. I think we're all, we all have that creative bent. Right, exactly. So what is up next for you? You finished this series. What's coming up next? Next, I'm going to go back into the Regency, which is one of my mainstays. I just love that period so much. So I'm starting in January a new series about three sisters and their dear friend who make a vow at the beginning of the year. They're all kind of getting, all but one are getting a little long in the tooth and they're starting to be considered spinsters. So they make a vow that by harvest, they will all be wed. And then all the 
all the difficulties that Bao ends up <laughs> making for them. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. If readers would like to connect with you, where can they find you? Certainly on my website, reginascott.com. You'll find all the buttons and banners for where I am on Facebook and Pinterest and my blog. And I'm always happy to connect with readers. And you'll also find a place to sign up for my newsletter where you can learn more about the books and more about some of the interesting things I figure out along the way. Which is always fun to read those newsletters and find out what authors are up to. Do you have any last words for the listeners? Just that they can always order A View Most Glorious at bakerpublishinggroup.com or wherever books are sold. Well, thank you so much, Regina, for joining us. It's been a true pleasure getting to know you and to hear a little bit more about A View Most Glorious. We have certainly enjoyed it and wish you the best of everything in what's coming up for you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Well, unfortunately, we have come to the end of our time with Regina Scott. She was a wonderful guest, and I was so pleased to have her on the show with us. You'll want to be sure to pick up a copy of A View Most Glorious. I really enjoyed this book, and I know that you will too. You can find more information about Regina, about A View Most Glorious, and get a link for A View Most Glorious and the other two books in the series over on my website, which is liztolsma.com. Just click on podcasts and you'll find all that information there, as well as some past guests that we've had. And if you've missed any of them, that's a great way to get caught up on all of the ones we've had. Speaking of great guests, we have another one coming up next week, and that is Carrie Fancett-Pagels. We're really pleased to welcome her to the show. Carrie holds a PhD and is the award-winning and best-selling author of over 20 Christian fiction stories, including ECPA and Amazon bestsellers. Her tagline, Overcoming with God, manifests in her positive storylines. Possessed with an overactive imagination that wasn't cured by 25 years as a psychologist, she loves bringing complex characters to life. Carrie and her family reside in Virginia's historic triangle. A former youper, she enjoys, and, and I know what a youper is. Yes, she'll have to tell us what a youper is next week. Stay tuned for that. A former youper, she enjoys summer trips to the Straits of Mackinac, where many of her stories are set. So be sure to come back next week to hear my interview with Carrie and to find out what a youper is. As always, I thank you so much for taking the time to tune in, to listen, to share more with your friends and fellow readers about Christian historical fiction talk. Take care, have a great week, and we will see you next time.